This episode of Popcorn Poops is brought to you by Audible.com. Please visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for a 30-day trial of their audiobook subscription service. When you sign up, you'll even receive a free audiobook that's yours to keep whether or not you continue with Audible after your trial has expired. That's audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for your free audiobook. We are the Pumpkin Poops. Hello and welcome to Pumpkin Poops, the best married couple movie podcast slash commentary track hybrid audio program on the internet. My name is Dustin and with me as always is my especially scary wife, Jessica. Especially, especially scary. Especially now because it's it's October. It's Shocktober. Right? Yeah. And everything is just a little bit spoopier in October. <laughs> Even the popcorn poops, which are actually the pumpkin poops. Yeah, we're the pumpkin poops now. Just for four weeks. Calm down. Let's not. Let's I not, really like it when we're the pumpkin poops. Let's though, not get excited. Because then I get to yes. force you to watch all horror movies. That, that is that is that's very true. As always, you can find us on our website at popcornpoops.com. That hasn't changed. Uh, on iTunes, where you can subscribe to us, you can also listen to us on Stitcher. We are a podcast, so we're in all those usual places. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. We'd really appreciate that. That's where you can keep up with uh, all announcements regarding the show. Uh, it's probably the easiest place to get announcements uh, regarding the show, uh, including our weekly movie still identification game which is a whole lot of fun you can get mentioned on the show so uh just follow us on twitter like us on facebook and you'll you'll get all that stuff dumped right into your feed where where your eyeballs will see it uh this month our theme is what science fiction horror movies science fiction horror movies and last week we kicked it off uh wonderfully i think with uh with not because the podcast was wonderful but the movie that we covered was was wonderful in john carpenter's uh film of of course the thing right uh from 1982 Uh, so this week we are going to continue that theme of science fiction horror with a david cronenberg film the second we've ever done on the show the second Mm -hmm. david cronenberg film that is uh from 1986 his movie, The Fly. We're very excited about that. So uh, if you are planning on syncing the movie up to uh, the podcast so you can listen along while you watch, uh, you'll, you'll want to pause your movie as soon as the title card reading Brooks Films Presents fades to black. As soon as that title card fades to black, you'll want to pause that. Uh, and while you're doing that, I'm going to pass it off to my wife to read a review that we received on iTunes. No. Or received on Stitcher. No. Received on... Did we receive a review? We didn't receive any at all. Oh, no. Well, that's not spooky. That's just sad. It is just sad. So next week, we would really, really like to read a review on the show. So if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes or Stitcher, uh, go jump on there. Uh, leave us a star review. Any star review is fine. Whatever you think we deserve, write us a little write-up, and we will read it on the show. We really but like I really reading. like it when there are five stars. I, in, I especially enjoy the five stars, but <laughs> if... <laughs> I think I suggested last week that you leave a five-star review and then actually just write what you really feel about us. So it's like, five stars, this show sucks. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, next week we'd like to read that review. So uh, if you haven't done that yet, we would really appreciate it if you do that. Uh, so we're just going to go ahead and jump right into the movie. So sinkers, press play at the beat after the countdown. Ready? Three, two, one. And we're off with the Baron of Body Horror, David Cronenberg's 1986 film, The Fly, the year I was born. 
Yeah, it is. How about that? I brought this movie into the world with me. That's that's wonderful. It's my 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 gift to the world was not just me. It was this movie because obviously, if you were born in 1986, this belongs to you. Uh huh. Yeah. That's of course. just makes sense. Yeah, logic. Yes, logic and reason. Uh, I really like the title uh, card in this movie. Not, it's not as good as the thing from last week. It's not as good. It's not as complicated as the thing, but I, I do really like the opening credits right here. I like the credit sequence, and I like the title itself. I think it's it's very cool, um, kind of of its time, but appropriate. Right? I, I like what what is happening here in this in this opening sequence. What Some does this look like to you? Mutation, it, science. I think it's actually if it if looks you look, like it looks like. I don't know. I thought it was like people walking around It looks around like or a something. crowd of people, doesn't it? I don't think it's supposed to be, but I think that that's probably where the, you know, the the visual information originally came from. I can from. definitely see legs and stuff in there. It really looks like a crowd of people. It is. It's it's almost definitely a crowd of people walking around, but I don't think that's what it's But it kind of looks like insects or something too, right? Like right. it's well, kind of it's go. kind of got that you got bugs that on the look brain to it that because... it's like maybe sciencey or something right. or it's like parasites or whatever squirming around it's on the screen. Mutation. People. I love how this movie gross. starts. I love well, how there, this There it movie... is right there. That's the what the fuck it is. We just saw oh, okay. it. We're so yeah, stupid. Yeah, yes, we are it's, stupid. It's these people walking around at this party. And they're actually bugs. And they they look so tiny because bugs. Um, I love how this movie just starts in the middle of a conversation. Just starts in the the well, middle of a know, conversation. Um, you, you know who that's taking a page from, right? Shakespeare. Shakespeare loved doing yeah, that Yeah, that's shit. true. Shakespeare that's would true, just drop did. you into a scene and be like, they've been talking. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't is, matter. Just, this just is where listen it up. starts. This is, this is the part that matters. <laughs> like the other stuff before, you know, whatever. Uh, so the first real shot of a character in this movie is Goldblum's face. Jeff Goldblum man's face. I mean, it's a great it's opening a great shot. great opening shot. Uh, welcome back to the show, Jeff Goldblum. We just had uh, you yes. on. Several weeks ago when we, we did, did uh, Jurassic Park. You can come on as often as you want, as really. As often Jeff as Goldblum. you want, Jeff Goldblum, please. Uh, but I, I think that, that the first shot of his face has me convinced that he was cast for his big bug eyes, pun, <laughs> pun intended. I'm telling you, bugs on the brain, man. Uh, and in the first ex- exchange between them that you'll notice that he's almost looking directly into the camera, like really showing off those eyeballs while Gina Davis's character's gaze is slightly farther off. And there's another exchange later in the movie that I think parallels that first exchange mm-hmm. in which their gazes and their relationship to the camera is very, very similar. And I'll, I'll try to bring it up if I can remember to later on. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think his bug eyes are part of why he was cast. Oh, it I mean, might but not, also be the magnificent mullet. Could be. Could be. But you know, I mean, anyone can grow a mullet. Let's be real. Like a mullet, you know, you could you could fake a mullet. You can't fake bug eyes. I think this is him getting her back to his apartment has to be the most original pickup strategy of all time. Yeah, probably. Where he's. I'm just a scientist, like, and I have a super fantastic product, and I'll make you. Cappuccino. Yeah, I'll make you cappuccino with my FIMA machine. Whatever that is. FIMA, FIMA. I don't know what that is. It's the real stuff, though. Maybe it's like what Keurig is now. Like, it's the Keurig of 1986, where if you say FIMA, people are just like, oh, God, yes. Or they're like, oh, you're one of those people. (laughs) Oh, you're weird. Get away. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, though. Yeah, he's just... I mean, I know every time Jeff Goldblum comes on Popcorn Poops, we just praise Jeff Goldblum a lot. But so I have to do that part here where I just praise how um, 
I love the way he talks. Just the cadence to his oh, voice. Okay. It, oh. I, I, and I'm, I'm every time he comes on the show, I promise that we're going to say this. I know we said this during <laughs> during the Jurassic Park episode. I know for a fact we did. Uh, but upon watching the fly, I think he's at maximum gold bloom here. <laughs> is he is he maximum gold bloom in this movie? I think before I said maybe he was maximum gold bloom in Jurassic Park, and I take that back. I think he's maximum gold bloom. I think in he's the fly. maximum gold bloom in whatever I watch him in because he just always plays gold bloom. He's just always the gold bloom. I love how I love how in this scene his um he's talking while he's playing the piano and so like you know, he when actually, he says... He actually plays the piano. Oh, he actually does. That's yes. fantastic. Jeff Goldblum. Um, I mean, of course well, he of course he does. It's <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Um, but like when, you know, when something, when he says something that's like scary or whatever, he uses like minor keys and, yeah. right? Like it's it's cute. It's, it's really a cute, cute little touch. Well, we haven't welcomed back our co-star of this film, Gina Davis. Welcome back to the Popcorn Poops. It's been... Well, what episode are we on? This is episode 54. Is that right? 53, 54? I don't 54? know. I don't keep up with that um, stuff. So That's it's, all you. It's been like 53 episodes, 54 episodes since she's been on the show because she was in Beetlejuice, the very first movie we ever covered for this for the show. Okay. And this is her first time back. So wow. welcome back, Gina Welcome Davis. back. Uh, this is a... Oh, I hope it's a warm welcome for you because uh, I, I really like what you do in this movie. I really like what you do in Beetlejuice. I really like, just like what you do, just in general. I like how you're talking to her directly. Well, Gina, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Now you're talking to me like you think I'm Gina. Gina? What are you talking <laughs> about, Gina? changing things a little bit here. Um, okay, so I, I do want to talk about this before we get away from it. But like... There is a distinct period of time in these early scenes between them where if I were her, I would be like, he's going to rape me. I'm about to uh. I'm about to get raped here tonight because like when they pull up to his apartment. But look at her pulling off this stocking. Here. I know. She's not she doesn't she 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 I don't know. I I don't think she sees him as threatening because he's a nerd and that reaction <laughs> the reaction to her pulling off her stocking that he gives is he's just like smiles and goes, mm-hmm. I half mm-hmm. expect him to smell it here. Yeah. <laughs> like I really am just waiting for him let's, to sniff Let's it. be fair. Of all of the weird, gross, like science, pseudoscience transformations and body horror crap in this movie, the least believable part of this is how charming and charismatic this antisocial science obsessed nerd is. He, like that moment with the, the stocking, that should be a creepy moment. And he somehow manages to make it sexy. Like he does. The way he handles the stocking and says, like, oh, mm-hmm. 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 you're like, oh. And you're like, oh, what, huh? Jeff Goldblum, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little hard right now. <laughs> oh and we God. haven't even kind of seen his penis yet. Yeah. Because you do kind of get to see his penis later, which is very exciting. <laughs> very exciting. Um, anyways, back to her needing to be more concerned for not getting raped um when they pull up to his his place that he's living right and it's like in this dark alley in in this you know clearly like desolate looking building and she pulls up to it and she even looks at him and is like uh it's here and i mean that would be the point in the drive where i'd be like now he takes out a gun. <laughs> like oh, geez, now yeah. he, now he takes out a knife. Like now that we are back at the back of this building in this dark scary place and I've gotten into a car with a stranger, this is what happens next. And then 
later on in the scene, he does the whole thing where he's playing the piano and when he does one of the scary little, you know, riffs on the piano, he says, can't let you leave here alive. And I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I would think I was going to die tonight. Well, here's here's the secret that you don't know. She's armed. <laughs> so, okay. and all I'll he has it. are these telepods. Let's talk about the telepods. I think the telepods are 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 really cool. It's one of my favorite elements of this movie is like how the telepods themselves are really dark and sleek and like there's even a moment in the movie where they become vaginal to me like I think like oh, the way symbolically they open up the stuff. way they open up the doors on them the especially the doors. especially and it never becomes clear that that's what they look like until Seth Brundle Jeff Goldblum's character actually teleports himself well I mean he talks about the birth and, of the teleportation like yeah it's like the, it's it's a rebirth it's about the yeah. new flesh you and know, they kind of look like egg shapes thing. right yeah yes exactly yeah very very egg shaped. Um, I'm very, I'm very pleased with like, like how proud he is of his telepod like branding that he has for himself. Because she said, I, I forget what she says, but she misspeaks and says something like "phone booth," and he's like, "Uh, uh, telepod." <laughs> <laughs> that was very good, right there. Oh, oh, and the computer totally makes fun of him. Like when he says something into the computer. Uh, and the computer repeats it back to him. It says, uh, like along with it, like his little, uh, begin the trans, trans uh, the, you know, the, the whatever sequence, uh-huh. the transportation sequence or whatever it is. And it's like, uh, begin the sequence, uh, <laughs> begin the sequence. Over I didn't, I didn't catch again. that. That's good. That's a good catch. It's, it's a little, I don't know. Like it's, it's a little self-aware for a movie that, that, that feels this early in his career mm. where it's just like, that knows just, that like, this is what Jeff Goldblum sounds like. Already. Like yeah. already this early. It's like, no, this is just the Goldblum. This yeah, is this just is, how This is. is how you talk Goldblum. This so is how you speak Goldblum. The telepods themselves, the, the inspiration for their design uh, came from the shape of the cylinder in uh, David Cronenberg's vintage Ducati motorcycle, which is really interesting to me since the pods are distinctly H.R. Giger-esque in their design. Like hmm. they look like something out of one of the Alien movies. Yeah, that's like, to, true. To be perfectly yeah. honest. Um, they, they, like they're black and they've got ridges. They look like, you know, almost bony. You might even yeah. call them bony. Yeah. Um, which would like make... they're like there's some, you know, uh, organic structure or something. Right. Right. Exactly. Which fits kind of nicely into Cronenberg's motifs of, you know, the body and the flesh and, yeah. you know, the degradation of that mm-hmm. and all that. That's kind of true. Stuff. That does. That that does fit in. Um, by the way, I just remembered another line that she says uh, that's creepy right there in the beginning that like solidifies the creep is the line where he's like, do you have something on you that's personal? Like, it just goes from creep to creepier to, like, just straight out totally creepy. Yeah, in, in, in a matter of minutes, really. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I say that and then also, you know, concede that it turns into sexy somehow. But if I were her, the, the, the warning signals would be going off in my brain. Um, you know, she's so she's supposed to be a journalist and she's at this party, you know, this gathering of scientific minds. And she's supposed to be interviewing people. And, you know, Seth Brundle takes her back to his apartment and shows her this amazing thing. And then she pulls out a tape recorder and he's all like offended or worried that she's going to let this slip. But he is kind of an idiot, right? 
He is kind of an yeah, idiot I for, mean, I for don't... not realizing that she's a journalist. And she she even told him at the party that she had to interview three yeah, other people. Yeah, I had to interview three other people. So I don't know, like, if he was just so blinded by vagina that he didn't, like, he, he wasn't listening to what I, she had that's, to say. That's all I can think is that it was a sexual thing or it's, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird with his character because you're right. He is so... Which is I a very... Almost, I mean, to, to, to say that he he's so blinded, like he uses his work as a means to, you know, to get sex, so to speak, as though it's a commodity, um, is very... You've been reading him. It's very Freudian. We're not going to talk about Freud, it's are a, we? It, no, we're not. I think we mentioned Freud in last week's episode. Yeah, start talking about how maybe... Uh, Maybe Brundle saw his mother when when she was naked and then realized that her penis was missing. It's all about getting back into the womb. That's all it's really about. Everything's about your mother's missing penis. All right, so check this out. Well, we we already missed him because we've been talking about other shit, but Gina Davis's boss, actually her name is Veronica, her character's name is Veronica Coif? Coif? Dare I say? (laughs) You can say Queef. Queef? Veronica Queef? <laughs> um, Pretty sure that's not her name. That's okay. Uh, but her boss, his character's name is Stathis Borens, played by John Getz. He might be one of the sleaziest bearded mm, businessmen mm-hmm. in all of film. Second only, you know who I'm going to say, right? Probably. Second only to Hart Bachner playing Harry Ellis in Die Hard. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's yeah, number one. Yeah, he's number bearded, one sleaze, sleaze, 80s sleazy guy. businessman. Number two, Stathis Borens. And in that scene, like in the first scene, he sets himself up, I think, to me, I read it as him as being a likely misogynist that has no faith in Veronica. Mm-hmm. And let's be real. Who the fuck is named Stathis that isn't like totally evil to yeah, the core? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. His that's name an is evil name. Stathis Borens. Yeah. It's pretty awful. <laughs> like I know that that you know Lord, that not Lord of the Rings, uh, uh, Game of Thrones, and and those books, the Song of Ice and Fire, were not even a twinkle in George R. R. Martin's eye back in the '86. I mean, maybe probably, they were. Probably, yeah, actually, actually, they probably were. Actually, no, they were. He was probably. <laughs> he was probably thinking about him. Uh, I'm sure he was already writing. But it them. just it just seems it's really close to like Stannis Baratheon to me. Stathis Boren, Stannis Baratheon. So I just I'm just like, oh, he's just a cold asshole but he actually ends up being pretty pathetic he's not really evil he's just sad and sleazy he's sad sad and sleazy and and actually he becomes kind of the good guy by the end of the movie which is such a weird turnaround it is it is it makes it makes me feel super guilty by the end because he's like horribly mutilated and stuff and and he's doing it all and still fighting for her it is and it might seem a little bit out of place but I, i i think i heard that there was a scene in this movie where her and Stathis get back together. Oh, really? Like they hook back up and it was so poorly received in like test screenings or whatever uh-huh. that the audience just like totally turned on the movie and they were like, no, she cannot fuck the bearded sleaze. No. Yeah, I mean, really, she shouldn't. <laughs> really, she shouldn't. But, but I mean, that's that. I believe that that's, that's how they reacted. And they were like, nope. So they just kind of excised it in whole. So that might so, feel... So, uh, you know, I guess that would explain something. It must have come before the scene where she says that she's pregnant. It because, must have because he's just around. Well, or... not just that, but the way he reacts because he first goes, oh, no. 
And then he goes, oh, no. And so he must have first been responding to, oh, no, you're pregnant with my baby. And then realizes that, you know, it's Brundle, Brundle fly baby. Um, And and so that must have been where that response came from, where that first response came from. But yeah, I I would hate that, too, to see that happen. She walks into her apartment. Veronica walks into her apartment and see and finds Stathis taking a shower. And he says, I was just in the neighborhood, felt a bit scummy. And I'm just like, yeah, you look it too. Like, yeah, sorry, pal. The shower is not going to help that <laughs> at all. It's not going to wash that off. The, That's the just you. you have. It's just, it's just inherent. Yeah. Start with the beard, but may, I mean, like, it's I not mean, helping it, your cause. Wash it, but also probably just shave it and then <laughs> wash the face really hard around it. And then you can just be a normal, clean-shaven douchebag and not not give beards a bad name <laughs> because. I'm proselytizing for the Church of Beards. Uh, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> um, the scene right before this where they go out for cheeseburgers, uh, there is, there's a line that he says when he's talking about what happens when he puts human, or not human, but living material like animals into the telepod. Uh, and she wants to know like what happens and he says not while we're eating which to me I feel like and this happens a couple of times throughout the movie I feel like it's a line that maybe like H.P. Lovecraft would be really proud of I think it's a a good example of withholding and letting the Mm. audience create the worst possible version of the horror in their minds yeah Uh, which in in a criticism of H.P. Lovecraft I feel like he leaned on that a little bit too much yeah yeah um but I, I do think that that's the movie does that a couple of times. And for being a movie by David Cronenberg, who's kind of known as a filmmaker who uh, who shoots his subjects uh, almost objectively, very mm-hmm. matter of factly. He doesn't turn away. He doesn't flinch. Um, but at the same time, there are moments where he re- he knows that uh, the person observing the horror their reaction is more horrifying than the horror itself. Mm. And there's there's a little bit of that in this movie, which I appreciate. Yeah, but I also appreciate that this movie shows us the grotesque stuff because uh, that's what I want to see in a movie like oh, this. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so we missed a couple of lines that tripped me up the first time. When she was in her apartment with Scumbag, um, he, he said something about Brundle leading the F twenty F-32 team. I I think it's just like techno babble jargon nonsense that they made up for the movie. But apparently, like uh, when he was leading that team, he was only twenty, and he was an inch away from the Nobel Prize for physics. So that's our background for how smart he's supposed to be. And you know, I I, I had this note a couple of scenes after this. Actually, the scene after this where he tries the same experiment on the stake. But there isn't really a lot of techno babble in this in this science fiction movie, right? I I love how I love how we get this one moment and we think that's gonna be it where we're just gonna see, you know, the bloody hand on the window and then and then we see then where we see this movie he, is going. See, he gives us both. That's yeah. the wonderful thing about Cronenberg is like, that he allows you to uh, he allows you to wonder about what you're going to see, but then he also lets you see it, and it's wonderful. And the thing is, is he could have just left it there. He could have just left it with the bloody hand on the window, and then like looking at them, looking God, at the I, creature. Right? I, I love this line coming up where she says, "Tell tell me what you're thinking," and he says, "Fuck is what I'm thinking." Um, but like he could have left us there, but it was that moment in the movie where the camera turns and shows us the thing they're looking at, which is 
incredibly grotesque. It's this inside oh, yeah. out baboon yeah. that's just like still alive and freaking out as it dies. And it's awful. It's so unsettling. And you go, okay, now I know what kind of a movie I'm in. Well, exactly. And like all of the creature effects and things in this movie were, were done by, by Chris Wallace, who won an Academy Award. Uh, For this movie? Yes. Um, and I, I think that just about everything in this movie holds up to anything that you find in in The Thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I have to say that I think The Thing is just just a half a step above this movie as far as like practical effects Well, go. I think they're more just, complicated. They, the they are, they're more complicated and they're more creative. They are more creative. They're more creative. I, I have to admit, I don't think um, like the the like later stage transformation of him as Brundlefly, I'm not super impressed with it. Like the early stuff is really gross when he's just getting pimply and weird and like stuff starts falling off. And like the final fly where, you know, it's completely what animatronics or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, that's fantastic too. But the one right before the end where it's just like a ton of makeup and he's really gross and he kind of looks like the hunchback of Notre Dame or something like that version of it to me. It's not, it's not that it looks bad, but I just think that it's, it could have been more, could have been more creative, could have been more fucked up, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, like we were referencing, could have taken a note from a movie like The Thing where they just, God, they they took normal people and turned them into these horrible, horrible creatures. So, you know, something like that, I, I think would have benefited the ending of the prosthetics and stuff, I feel. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, but, you know, did you know that this was... Well, actually, this was originally... I wanted to say something about the set design. Did you know this was originally a project for Tim Burton to direct? Really? Yeah. No, I didn't. Uh, which is which is strange because I really love the look of this film and the and and I especially love the look of his flat right like this shot right here just the colors the color of the wall the color of his bed just the way all of it's kind of these dirty muted tones mm. um and I think that Cronenberg's work with cinematographer Mark Irwin which this was the last movie that he shot with him uh, and production designer Carol Spire always brings out that that kind of something dark and macabre set yet yet colorful yeah and the thing i kept thinking of is like like if it was a tim burton movie if tim burton made movies for adults mm, okay you know, which is kind yeah. of which is kind of a sick burn but okay <laughs> but at the same time like i feel like this movie you get that kind of aesthetic without like the you know the kind of cartoony carnival-esque mm-hmm. atmosphere. You know what I mean? But I mean, doesn't Cronenberg always kind of do that? Isn't yeah. there always something kind of dark and oh yeah, and off about yeah. all his movies? Um, recently, he's kind of become obsessed with, uh, I think, he's become obsessed with kind of the dark and sterile, uh, mm. whereas he used to kind of be obsessed with the dark and dingy. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I've watched any of his recent stuff. Have I? Have you forced me to watch any of the recent uh, stuff? Probably not. No, I, his. Most I love movie, his old stuff. His most recent movie was was Maps to the Stars. No, um, I didn't see it. Which is a good movie. I think it's a good movie. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, his movie before that uh, was Cosmopolis. Okay. Which I did not care for. In fact, I think I. 
I, I probably hated it. I think I hate it. <laughs> I think it's the only David Cronenberg movie that I, I just hate. the last couple of things that I've heard that he's done I do, when I, I've heard about them. I feel like they're more. I don't know. Well, I don't know, feel I like do, they sound weird. Like I want him to sound. I, I miss the Cronenberg that dealt with ideas of the flesh. I miss the Cronenberg that really loved the body horror. Mm. That was you know the bear yeah. in a body horror. That's who he is. Um, everyone that feels the way I feel about Cronenberg. Everyone that misses that Cronenberg. You have to, I, I cannot stress this enough, you have to watch Starry Eyes. You oh my God, yes, Starry it's Eyes. It's a movie from a couple of years ago, maybe last year that came out. Um, it actually deals with a lot of the same themes mm-hmm. as Maps to the Stars. Oh, okay. Which is really fascinating to me because I feel like, it, this is the way I, I keep, you know, pitching it to people who I, I think really would appreciate Starry Eyes for what it is. Is It is... Uh, it is maps to the stars. If Cronenberg remembered how to Cronenberg, that's that's the best way I can sell. Okay. It. Well, since I know nothing about maps to the stars now, at least I know something because I've seen Starry Eyes. So yeah, I mean, it's about the the the, the pursuit of yeah. fame and okay, like, and, that and, makes sense. You know, kind of him breaking down the concept of celebrity and how it can be like a mental disease. Mm-hmm. Like that yeah, kind of thing. absolutely. Um, Starry Eyes is just. I mean that. I think that um, there hasn't been a body horror that was as good as Starry Eyes in a pretty long time. Oh no, yeah, I, I hadn't seen one that strong. Yeah, in a long I mean time. it's, and I mean that not just like in in the the obvious term, which is that like the body horror itself is really good, upsetting body horror. There are some moments where she is deteriorating so so much that it's just really upsetting um but like not just that but it's just it's such a good movie too it's a good horror movie we so. we, we totally <laughs> we totally missed the um the hint it was when he was uh, i think it was when he was doing the steak test um and uh it was like a, a screen full of numbers like blinking oh yeah or whatever mm-hmm. i took a, a screenshot of that and one person guessed it uh at martiello g on on uh, Twitter, identified the movie properly just from that screenshot, which is very, very impressive. He doesn't have anything that he wants to plug, but uh, he does want to thank us for for a good show. Oh, so, awesome. You're welcome. I think thank he had, listening. is he the same one who had some questions too about the yes, movie? Yes, yes, he did. So we can talk about some, I mean, yeah, the one ahead. we can talk about right now is the origins of body horror. Okay. So since we're already on the topic of body horror. Uh, so obviously, if I, I assume that all listeners are familiar with this term, but just in case somebody isn't, that's where body horror is when the audience is, you know, the intended goal is that the audience is going to be kind of grossed out by by some sort of mutilation or decay or disease or parasitism or something like that. Um, I, I think that you can also group in, like, I feel in talking about the origins of body horror, as he wants us to do, uh, I feel like you can also group uh Things about like loss of faculty, loss of agency mm-hmm. uh, due to some kind of, you know, mental or physical takeover. Like I feel like the the, the best example of uh, old body horror, um, maybe you have a better example, but I think maybe Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956. I think that's a really good early example of, okay. of body horror. I th- you, you might have something earlier. I have, I have a couple. I don't have one earlier than that, but if we're just talking movies, and I'm sure you go into literature and stuff in this stuff. Oh, yeah, we're talking about way, body way, horror way, and way, film. Way, 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 way back. But in body horror and film, um, uh, like – 
the the one I had that I thought was the best was maybe The Hands of Orlock okay. from 1960. Uh, and that was directed and starring the guy who is the did uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yes. And so, so this was one where the guy's hands are transplanted with the hands of a murderer. Right. So again, it's like the agency thing, you know, where where the fear is that he's not going to be able to control his actions, the actions right. of his hands. And right. they're going to do evil things without him. Well, I mean, to. if you want to if you really want to talk about literature, you could in some ways. I mean, you could say that Mary Shelley, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Is, oh, it's is, absolutely is body, body horror. horror. Yeah. I mean, it's also the first science fiction novel. It is. It is uh, written by a woman. So just, there it all you just so publishers you know. <laughs> in the in the fifties who were telling women you know, they weren't going to publish David Cronenberg uh, talked about the the baboon on the DVD commentary for this, and he said that the baboons frightened him because they are potentially dangerous and mm. they're kind of unpredictable. Yeah, uh, but. They had no problems with Jeff Goldblum whatsoever. Like oh, Jeff, the baboons loved him. Like they just, of course, they, they, did. they were they were completely subservient to him and like b- basically held him as the alpha. And Cronenberg maintains that it's because Jeff Goldblum was is very tall mm. and he was in shape. He had worked out for this movie, very yeah, muscular and tone. I'm aware. Yes, I know you're aware. <laughs> that's, that's okay. That's all right. And I get a little chub too. <laughs> Not not that you get chubs or anything. No. <laughs> not from my castrated penis. So Um, I've missed a bunch of stuff I wanted to talk about. I think it's interesting that that uh Brundle uses the lessons and even the scientific work of others to achieve what he does. I mean, he even talks about how the way he gets this done is by farming out the work to people who don't really know what he's working on. Mm. And he says, I need this thing and I need this thing, and they're like, Okay, we'll make it for you, but they don't know exactly what it is he's doing. Um, and even like the way he dresses, he dresses in the same clothes every day because that's brain energy that he doesn't have to spend thinking about what he's going to wear. And it's something he learned from Einstein. That's something that he preaches in a way against as Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park, where there's that whole line where he talks about you stood on the shoulders of geniuses yeah. mm-hmm. and, and he's you know, criticizing you did something them before you, before thinking if you could do something, you should have stopped to think if you should, should do, do it, something. Right? Yeah. Thing. And then instead he's, he's doing the opposite here where he's just, he's the one who's, he's the one who is achieving without discipline. Yeah. Right? And which causes him, uh, which is his ultimate failure, right? That's his, that's his flaw that, kills him that destroys him by the now, end of the movie now the one thing that i did want to get back to that i did oh my god by the way i want this can we please find a print of that <laughs> of and the particle blow magazine cover? yeah of the particle, the particle magazine, magazine cover, cover with the illustration i just I, I do want to say that that's that is a lot of work for um for stathis to put into kind of just threatening her uh-huh yeah that is, is to true. have to, to put some you know poor graphic designer on this project <laughs> to design a cover for one of their magazines just to find out, oh, wait, we're not running this. This was just for your you, personal... Wait, I'm sorry, were you just fucking with me? Weird vendetta. What? Like, I'm a professional, Stathis. I, I hope he got paid. Oh, I'm sure he did. Um, but I do. I did want to talk about the techno babble in this science fiction movie because there's not a lot of it. No, there's not. Here's the thing. 
Veronica is the character that keeps the audience grounded. Every single time there's an opportunity to wax like pseudoscientific about anything, it gets reduced to far more, I think, poetic terms for Veronica and subsequently the audience. And I, I think that, I mean, because of that, of course, we can call this movie soft science fiction. It's not hard science right, fiction. Yeah. It's not about the science. It's about the fiction. It's yeah. about the characters and, mm-hmm. and their journeys. Um, Which I much prefer. But there, there is something poetic about how he explains all of I mean he even at the end of that scene he even says the poetry of the stake he said he mentions the poetry of the stake and how that's the thing that he's got to work on is figuring out how to tell the computer to uh, I I guess interpret the flesh Mm, right yeah because it's a different thing entirely I also think the poetry of the stake is a particularly great band name so if you're looking for a (laughs) band name Poetry of the Stake. It's a pretty good band It's pretty fucking solid. It's, so. it's pretty good. I mean, it's I can see a couple album covers there with that. It's got to be Screamo. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, of, of course. But yeah, Poetry of the Stake. Yeah. But um, no, there isn't a lot of techno babble in it. And that's sometimes I am amazed by how some sci fi movies are able to make me believe in their science, but they don't talk about it. Yeah. They don't talk about it at all. That's not really the school of uh, of good old Michael Crichton, is it? Where no, he's just like, I'm going to tell you all of the bullshit that, that be, I think makes this sound. That would be the like opposite of Michael Crichton. Um, where, where, yeah, we've got chapters and chapters. Just read the original uh, Jurassic Park. Lost World's a little better about it, but Jurassic Park is pretty dense on the techno babble. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty I mean, much the, the book far more so than even. Yeah, the that's movie. what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's yeah. the book. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not very strongly into hard sci-fi in general. I love sci-fi, but, but, uh, I prefer a stronger focus on characters than, than on the science just cause I don't like science very much cause I'm not good at it. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm, it's, I'm not either. so it's kind of hard for me to really get into it because I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying. So. You're, oh, you're not one of those insufferable, I fucking love science people? No. Uh, they're not that insufferable. I, I fucking love science too, but let's let's calm the fuck down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, though, I prefer my science. I prefer my stories to be character driven. I prefer basically all of my stories to be character driven. Um, uh, plot driven second Honestly, for me, I I need good characters before before I even need good plot. And a lot of people will argue that um, that it should be the other way around. A lot of people argue too that in science fiction and fantasy, it is the other way around. That science fiction and fantasy is plot driven, and that literary fiction is uh, is character driven. I don't think that's true today. I don't think that's true. No, um, I don't think might have been up. true during the pulp fiction days, but Maybe, it's yeah. not. It's not true today. Yeah, the 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 nickel books. You just got a load of books in the mail. Some first edition. Yeah, uh, from Andre Norton. Some Andre Norton stuff, and I mean they're like. They're, they're first editions and they're not even hardcover. They're these little paperbacks and they have the price printed right on the cover, 40 cents. And it's like, pretty fantastic. Man. Yeah, they're, they're, they're great. <laughs> um, but oh, let's, let's just put a capper on the body horror thing. We got into the origins of body horror and oh, we yeah. didn't really finish it. Um, even with the 
you know, the origins of body horror going back, at least in film, as far back as 1956's Invasion of the Body mm-hmm. Snatchers, and probably before that even. Oh, I'm sure. Um, there are examples we didn't Oh, yeah, absolutely. Catch. Um, the term itself was not coined until the year this movie came out. For real? Uh, I don't know if it had anything to do with this movie, but there was a body horror-themed issue of the film journal Screen that comes out of the University of Glasgow. And uh, they had the, the theme of the journal that uh, that issue was body horror. Huh. It's the first time the term was coined, and they had several essays, several you know writings yeah, yeah, on yeah. on the topic. Uh, I would be shocked if this movie or the other works or David Cronenberg himself was not mentioned uh, a lot yeah. uh, in the journal, but. Um, but yeah, I think that that's really interesting that this. Well, and we can. Perhaps this might. This is perhaps the defining work of David Cronenberg's career. This you or, think so? This or Videodrome? I think this though, because I think popularly this is probably. Yeah, more people know this. Yeah, so I would I would say that this is probably the defining. My work freshmen of uh, in my comp classes, none of them knew it. However, had never heard of it. What? Yeah. What? Yes. <laughs> Are we old? Is that what this feels yeah, like? Yeah, every comp class where the ones that know that I do a podcast was asking me what, what I was doing this week. And I told them, they're like, I don't know that movie. <laughs> um, but but I wanted to mention, though, a couple other like uh, uh, pretty famous body horror directors and, and movies. Yeah. Um, so like like movies that I that stick out to me as pretty good examples of body horror not that are necessarily good movies but just examples of body horror um Akira I think is a great one Akira is a really great one taking it into animation yes, absolutely which um, we covered on the podcast go back through the archives and listen to the episode J-Har gets into body Har a lot. That's a, a pretty common theme in J Har. Yes, but with specific things. Yes, very very different uh, than Western they, body horror. They're really bothered, like in J horror, it feels like they're really bothered by hair. Mm, yes, they are they very much really so. But hate that goes hair. back to well, this would be a whole another discussion. But it goes back to. Um, uh, fears from particular characters in Japanese mythology and literature, which have particular uh, uh, traits with their hair. And so that's where that stuff comes from. Um, but that's a discussion for another podcast episode. Um, but like an example from J-Har would be Audition, right? Yep. That's a super body horror. It's oh, kind of a tortury so. movie. Tortury movies get body horror. I, I, I think torture porn kind, kind of, of melds. I think torture porn might be even a subgenre of, of the subgenre that is. So yeah. it's like horror, body, body horror, horror, torture, torture porn. porn. It's like yeah. its own thing. Um, uh, the Human Centipede is an extremely obvious example of that. I oh, yeah. hate that movie, but um, because it doesn't have anything else, thing else to hang those visuals on it doesn't have anything else to hang that story on it doesn't have no characters. It's, it's, it's no just, all it is is just we're gonna sew asses to mouths and it's yeah, really gross it's and that's like, how gross this is and, and believe me i love things that are gross for the sake of being oh, yeah, gross I, I, can get, but, I can get behind that but i need a little so to speak just something oh, just give me something that was a bad choice of words wasn't it <laughs> i can get behind that and get sewed to it oh disgusting sewn, sewn. um that's participle reanimator Slither, uh, we already said Starry Eyes, um, Cabin in the Woods, that's a good, or not Cabin in the Woods, uh, uh, Cabin Fever. Oh yeah, Cabin Fever, That's a yeah. good one. 
Eli Roth's movies, yeah. Hostel, like he, those, those. Teeth. Yes, Teeth is a very good example, actually. Actually, if you haven't seen Teeth, I remember really enjoying that. I remember that pretty much enjoying that. I feel like we didn't love it, though. It's been a long time. Yeah. It, it didn't stay with me. No. But I, I remember Starry liking Eyes it. Starry Eyes stayed with me. Oh, it stayed, yeah. It stayed with it's me. It's been for, like a year, and it still stayed with me. Yeah, there's some visuals in that movie that I just can't shake. Mm-mm. Uh, yeah. Any, oh, you were going to say some directors. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, of course you've got, you know, Cronenberg is right there at the top of the list. Um, then you've got people like Stuart Gordon, uh, who, who made reanimator, which I think is a, is a, is a great movie that could fit very easily into this month. We're very much fans of reanimator. Very much fans of, you know, I, I have to be honest. I'm a fan of the whole series. I think the second movie is not as strong. I think the third movie is surprisingly strong Mm, uh, in that series. Um, and then you've got, uh, you know, people like Lloyd Kaufman, who, who's been doing body horror forever with the trauma movies. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah all the toxic Avenger movies and stuff like that. All of them are just gross to a degree and they all have to, it's all gross and it all has to do with like the body. It's all, Mm -hmm. it's all body and body humor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sex humor. Yes. Um, I got the joke. (laughs) Lewd and rude. (laughs) That kind of stuff. He's like, he's like the John Waters of like, I don't know, B horror movies. It's that makes sense to somebody. (laughs) (laughs) It's not me. (laughs) Um, Frank Henenlotter, I think Frank Henenlotter is a, a great example. He's the guy who made Brain Damage and Basket Case. Um, you know, Brain Damage being, I think, his strongest work. Also, his weirdest, probably his weirdest work. Uh, there's a there's a, a great scene in that movie where a guy just bleeds out of his ear for like a solid, it's got to be like 20 seconds oh, of film time. man. Where it just sprays like a pressure hose out of his ear. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> Um, oh no, we're missing a scene that I love where Jeff Goldblum is half naked and, and just does a bunch of exercises silently. This is a, I mean, this, this moment here, despite the great score by Howard Howard Shore, Shore that's, that is in the rest of the movie, this, this moment, this scene has no music or dialogue. Mm Mm-hmm. This action speaks for itself. Oh my God, look at those hairy pits. Man. He, he is. That stunt double is is pretty uh, pretty believable too. They do a good job of framing these shots so that yeah. it really. It's pretty seamless. Yeah, it is really seamless. Um, uh, and, yeah, he, and he physically looks a lot but, like him. That's true. And I mean, Goldblum is just, he's cut from marble. I love, I love him walking on the ceiling when he does these flips. Um, let's see. What did I, what have I missed? What have I missed? I've, I've, I've been missing a bunch of notes that I, I wanted to Gold go Bloom over. Goldblum is more in shape than the stunt double. Um, oh, oh, after the, the teleportation of the second teleportation of the baboon, the successful one, Veronica tells Seth that he'll never have to be car sick again, to which Seth says, or air sick or e sick or, or e sick. That's not a word. Seasick. Uh, <laughs> In The Right Stuff in 1983, Jeff Goldblum played a man who got seasick. And in Independence Day, if you remember, he played a man who got airsick. Unfortunately, I think this is less of a coincidence and more of a case of Goldblum being somewhat typecast as a stereotypically neurotic or hypochondriatic Jew. 
Oh no! Yes, Did yes. you just say it? Yeah, I I I oh, think that's man. definitely what that is. That's unfortunate. I think it's disgusting and, you, and, and terrible. You, and you pointed it out, and I <laughs> I never thought of it before, and it's really unfortunate well, now I that mean, you say it I out mean, loud. It's true. Like you watch this movie, and he's supposed to be brilliant in this movie, but there's also that little element of, of like, being kind oh, of I get a neurotic sick. hypochondriac, and right? It's, you know, it's also they're buying stuff from Eric Cartman. That that hat reminds me of Cartman for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't think it's any coincidence that it's like Jeff Goldblum played a character who got car sick and then in another movie seasick and air sick. That's such a coincidence. It's like, no, that's stereotyping. Yeah. That's generalizing. Yeah. And it's fucking gross. So no, it's stop. the it's the the obvious stereotype from like what uh is not family guy. Uh, the yeah, the yeah. neighbors that yeah, they have, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, that's what they're going for. That's really unfortunate. Goldman, I think his name mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Really unfortunate. I've never thought of that till you pointed it out. But now that you say it, I'm going to see it everywhere. You're ruining my perception of Goldblum in the movies. Please stop I'm it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, you know, I, here, here's one of the things that, um, that I think that this movie could do without. I love this movie. I, on, I do. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it full stop. This movie is a masterpiece. I think this movie is a masterpiece. I still think that there's some some things in this movie that, although they end up working, I think they work in the movie ultimately. Um, I'm, the 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 love plot, the love triangle, it doesn't work for me. Mm. Like it's not just that I don't like Stathis. I think that's what ultimately kind of makes his plot thread work at all is that you don't like him. Yeah. Um, but I think that. Oh it, my gosh! I love him getting crazy here. It's a great performance. Yeah, the 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 nonstop talking. Goldblum pulls off this nonstop talking thing so well, so well. Well, here's the thing: few actors can go from the slow, thoughtful cadence of Goldblum's earlier performance in this movie and the thing that he's really known mm-hmm. for to this kind of manic character he's become now, without seeming like entirely different characters. But I think it's one of the benefits of his style of, yeah. of his style. Mm-hmm. Um, the way he speaks and the way he performs and, the, you know, people, we've we said this before in the Jurassic Park podcast, people give him a hard time and they say that he plays one character, that he's just Jeff Goldblum in every movie. And I, you know, I, I can't necessarily disagree with that, but I have to say, I like that character right. enough that so, I'll keep so coming I'm okay back with to it. see it. I'm yeah. okay with it. I'm okay with him being, I've said that from the beginning is, yeah, he's Jeff Goldblum in every movie, but I'm okay with that. So, so we're fine on those terms. Him him here, this is the point when I start to get uncomfortable with Goldblum in this movie <clears throat> where he's just fucking like nonstop, right? Yes. And he's starting to look kind of gross too. This isn't sexy. No, no. no this, this is, is no longer. The last sexy moment was, was when he was working out. When he's working out and he's doing the parallel bars yeah, and all that. That's the last sexy moment where you're like, oh, that's, yes. that's pretty. He's starting to break out. His face is got these weird and he's marks just on it. sex crazed now yeah and it and it feels animalistic now whereas like oh my god scientist jeff goldblum before before he starts becoming brundlefly man how could any girl you know or guy or guy not fall for him at the beginning of this movie because because he's just so incredibly charming by being kind of awkward like in that perfect way. Oh, God. <sighs> Jeff Goldblum. Um, 
these rusty scissors cutting the oh, the perfect, hairs. Right? It's it's like that scene at the end of Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if you know the scene. The scene. Then congratulations. <laughs> You're part of a club that can never unsee. I, I was reading some weird thread <laughs> online somewhere where some guy was talking about um, pe- people saying that That's like, fucking body horror, by the way. Oh, oh God, That's yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, we, we say that we can't think of good body horror from the last few years or whatever. And I guess Antichrist is a little bit older. I love Antichrist. I know you do. I know you don't care for that movie. I, I, it's not that I don't care for it. You just got my expectations so high for it, and then I watched it, and I was like, eh. I'm sorry. It was kind of a, I don't know. I guess, I don't know. First time I saw it, it was the right time, right place. I, I, <laughs> Lars von Trier, man. That, that guy's fucking nuts. Um. Anyways, I was on some thread, though, somewhere, and and the conversation had devolved into people talking about like complaining about people who are like, I never get disgusted by anything in movies. I'm totally desensitized. I can watch anything. I can watch cannibal Holocaust, whatever. Right. And so like it was people talking about that. And then some guy talks about how he just throws in there that he, his like, his coworker or his neighbor or somebody like a mom's friend or something yes, like that. This line, this, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt you. Drink deep or taste not the plasma <laughs> spring. Now he's speaking in like lyrics to a hardcore song. Deep penetrating dive into the plasma okay, so pool. That, that line drink deep or taste not the plasma spring is actually a reference to a famous quote from Alexander Pope's an essay on criticism. Mm-hmm. The full quote is a little learning is a dangerous thing. Drink deep or taste not the Pyrian spring. Their shallow droughts intoxicate the brain or dra- drafts uh, intoxicate the brain and drinking largely sobers us again. Um, and at the end of that scene where he walks away and he's shouting like, drink deep or taste not the plasma spring. And he walks away. The look on Veronica's face is just like, I have the fucking worst luck with men. <laughs> what have I gotten what myself the fuck into? Is this? What in the hell? I just cut these weird hairs off his back. And this is where we stand. Okay. Let's- Okay. I, let me go, finish go the, the story that I was going to say. All the story is, is just that the guy, now it's not that important. All it was, was that the guy suggested to somebody's mom who was like looking for a movie for her daughter and her friends at their slumber party to watch. And he was like, oh yeah, you should uh, rent this movie Antichrist. It's really scary. Oh my God. And she did. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and I'm just picturing that slumber party, those girls putting that movie on. And like, at what point they get into the movie? And I, I, you know like, what? I, Wait I, a minute. I'm going to be honest. I can't imagine them getting past the first scene, which is like high contrast, yeah. monochrome, super slow motion, full penetration sex scene <laughs> with this like classically, it's a classical song. I don't think it's even score. Like it's a, it's a classical song watching this baby like approach a window and fall out of it into the snow like at that point you gotta you're either on board or you're not (laughs) i can't imagine a bunch of like high school girls being like yeah let's watch let's keep going this is interesting like it's just like i really enjoy the motif of you know like penetration like sexual penetration and emotional penetration (laughs) sorry that's pretty good uh this scene right here uh where Brundlefly, not yet Brundlefly, Seth Brundle. Becoming Brundlefly. Um, he breaks this guy's arm. Oh, and it's, and, oh, oh, God. It's fucking amazing. A compound fracture. 
in a, and I like how he lifts his hand up when he's done. He's just like, I wasn't cheating. Look at my hand. Look, it's right look, here. Look, look. I'm just that much of a badass. If you've never seen the movie Over the Top starring Sylvester Stallone about an arm wrestling trucker, mm-hmm. don't bother. Oh, okay, good. Just watch this scene. And then you get the whole movie? It'll deliver everything that movie has to offer and more. Okay. Just from this one scene. Okay, I, good. I also really like the, the 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 look that he like he's supposed to be an asshole now because he's being taken over by mm-hmm. the fly, which I get this. But um, the the girl that he's picked up, uh, he says something about uh, if I win, I get the girl, right? Mm. And she's like, "Do I look like a hooker to you?" And he's just like, eh. mm, "I mean, <laughs> you kind of do." Yeah. <laughs> And I'm just like, okay, all right, Brundlefly. Okay, okay Brundlefly. One point for Brundlefly. He, he he walks in and orders a scotch or something like that, which I thought was a little weird. I thought he should have ordered like a cocktail that has a like uh, has something a lot really of sugar. sweet. Yeah, yeah some girly really drink. Sweet. Something cra- like a Sex on the Beach mm-hmm. or yeah, something that you wouldn't normally see. You know, a a guy like him order. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It should have been something. You're totally right. It should have been something really really sweet. But that this, was that was a mistake. This right is there, where like oversight. the sexual component of the movie comes in, and I think it really only elevates all of the body horror stuff. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, I think that you know Seth trying to force not only Veronica but this girl that he's picked up. He eventually tries to to talk them into or force them to go through the portal. Uh-huh. It's entirely analogous to me to similar situations and relationships where one partner is not you know, prepared or willing for mm-hmm. some step or action that the other partner yeah. is wanting to do mm-hmm. anything like that. Um, I think it's totally analogous to that. And I think that makes that really interesting. It makes the sexual component, not just a sexual component, but also a story about this relationship. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about something, a uh, characterization that we've kind of passed the point of this now, but but it was something that came up in my notes a few times, which is that, so at the beginning of the movie, um, uh, she, Gina Davis, uh, is, is kind of shitty. Like she's kind of a jerk right at the beginning of the movie. Um, her, her not really caring about listening to him, not believing him. And then even when she does just using it for selfish gain and like not being a good person, um, she slowly becomes a better person, but for a large portion of this movie, I don't trust her. There's a large portion of the movie where I'm just like, I still, I still feel like, uh, and this is all before he starts to become fly, but I still feel like she's in it. She's in the relationship that she's using him for not just, well, I think we move past the story because, because she sees something even better than the story for her, right. which is that he's going to be famous and really rich. That's that's an interesting thing because I don't... I think that to me, she is an incredibly sympathetic character. I think so much so that I've even got a note here where I, I state pretty uh, assuredly that... Seth Brundle is not even the main character of this movie. That she is? I, feel I would like believe she, that. I feel like she's really the main character of this movie because... Um, you know, he may be the subject of the movie, and I think he is obviously the subject of the movie because it is indeed called The Fly. Mm. Um, 
But I think that Veronica is the center point for this. No, I think that's totally true. We mostly see his transformation. Mostly we see it from her perspective. We're grounded to her perspective. We're grounded to her level of intelligence. That's mm-hmm. why the movie doesn't yeah. have, we've already talked about this, the techno we, It doesn't have the techno babble because it's from her perspective, all not gets, his perspective. It all gets right. reduced down to like, you know, more poetic things, not quite mm-hmm. prosaic, but poetic things that, you know, he says to her in order to explain all of these very complicated ideas. Right. And not only that, but she is at the center. She's at the end of one relationship and the beginning of another. She's in a transition period, just like this, you know, this man, this, you know, the mm-hmm. Seth Brundle. So I feel like because we see her at the center of this, all of this, and she's got all of the stuff with Stathis on one side and she's got all the stuff with Brundle on the other side, I feel that situates her in a place where it's hard to deny that she is the protagonist of the movie, that she is pushing everything forward. At least she is pushing forward uh, how the audience perceives all of the things that's happening. I I don't doubt that whatsoever. I totally agree that she is the protagonist of the story. However, um, that that doesn't mean that she... She can be a sympathetic character and still be a character that I don't trust. And that's how I feel about her for... for up until the point in the movie when he is in dire straits, like like right now, the fact that she still cares, um, and especially later when he's like really disgusting and despairing and she's still hanging on and still trying to help him. Um, obviously, by then, there's a lot of trust. But early on in the movie, I feel like she's establishing this relationship with him first. She's obviously establishing it to get the story. Um, and then to get the larger story where she's, you know, going to videotape it and stuff. Uh, but then I think even when she moves past that, cause we see the whole scene where like she goes and tells her ex-boyfriend, you know, she's not doing this now, whatever, like she's serious about him and she's not going to betray him and whatever. Right. Um, even when we get to that point, uh, I know we're supposed to be believing in her, but even when she's like. When she tells him they should go on a holiday, right? And she's like, we should go somewhere and just go away, the two of us. I'm still thinking to myself, you sure have gotten yourself into a position with a guy who's about to become really famous and successful and probably extremely rich. And yeah, I mean, (laughs) I don't think I'd back out of that either. Okay, that's interesting. Okay. So I I felt like it it, it was definitely still selfishly motivated Um, at the beginning of the story. Well, speaking of Veronica, the the famous tagline in the movie, she's already said it, be afraid, be very afraid. It originated as dialogue spoken by her in this movie. Mm. But I I really don't like her delivery of the line. It feels maybe it's just my perception, maybe it's just me. It probably is. I feel like it's designed to be the tagline and not like it organically became the tagline yeah. by virtue of a great performance or a great delivery or the fact that it's a great line. Like, I don't think it's a particularly strong line on its own. It feels pretty hokey, yeah. just to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that her her delivery of it is particularly strong either. I feel like it was designed to be the tagline of this movie, uh, which I, I don't really, I don't care for it. Um, oh my god now this is a beautiful example of body horror right here where he squeezes off his nails and then pus squirts out of them oh it's terrible oh Oh my god God. (laughs) oh it's so good and awful 
Uh, peeling off fingernails is just terrible. Of all of the crazy fucked up stuff in this movie, this, these little quiet moments of him mm-hmm. doing this oh, are just... Every time I watch it. I mean, this... Do you think that this is the best example of Cronenberg's body horror? Prob- I mean, probably, yeah, because it's a movie that's completely about the body changing. So, yeah. I mean, a, a lot of his other movies deal with that as like a theme throughout. But like, that's the whole point of this movie is this body changing. I mean, the obvious literary reference for this movie. Do you know it? Right. The like very clear one. Uh, Kafka's Metamorphosis. Right. Of course. Yeah. So the obvious literary references is, is Metamorphosis because not just because of the the, the super, you know, right in your face outward connection which is it's about a man who turns into a giant bug um but it's also because of the themes in the movie because it's a movie about transformation it's a movie about becoming the person that you didn't want to be uh and becoming a burden on those around you because because of what you've become um in the metamorphosis it's just a salesman uh what's his name gregor Mm-hmm. Right, and it's just a salesman who wakes up and turns into a bug, and his family confines him to his bedroom, and he keeps escaping until finally he's confined to his bedroom, and he just dies there. And they're pretty happy about it because he's become a burden on them, and they are disgusted by him. I think the computer so. stuff that we're seeing right now holds up slightly better than the thing. The computer stuff. Oh, actually, I've thought that too. That was one of my notes too. Is that I think that the computer stuff does look better. It. I think it does look better. I don't know what it there, is. There is something though here. Maybe here at the end after this sequence, where, where like the computer gives him some information that he didn't ask for or something like that. And it's one of those moments where I'm like, why? Why do you? Well, I mean, here's the thing. This whole thing that he does right here. Oh, this this is ask, the stuff I'm talking about. Asking a computer a direct question and getting a direct answer just doesn't seem... Like, even in the age of Siri, it doesn't really seem right. realistic for a scientist to be approaching his work yeah. that way. Yeah, know? because he wouldn't he wouldn't need a whole sentence to get across, you know, what what was what he was trying to ask. He right. would he would just be typing in elements and seeing if they connected or whatever. He you know. What if the first ele- if the first element was if if the primary element was Brundle, what is the secondary element or whatever, right? Like he doesn't need to ask no, that ne- full question. He's just going to type in secondary element or something. Right. Yeah, all, that's all he needs to do is there needs to be a column that says primary element Brundle uh, you know, result, whatever, and he's, you know, he has the computer figure out what the secondary element was. Right, yeah, but like I mean, typing we, out full you questions can, you can, and asking You can portray that silly. visually without like having him go, computer, what is the answer to my question? Well, the answer to your question And is, by the way, guys, I mean, Siri, she's still just not, still just not cutting it. Pretty dumb. She's pretty dumb. <laughs> let's just, let's just put this, she's pretty dumb. <laughs> Uh, you were talking about this. Siri is pretty much only good when you're drunk and you just keep asking questions, trying to figure out like personal questions and stuff, trying to figure out what she'll respond to that'll make you laugh. Um, you touched on, you know, the the about this movie being about the body and the 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 
you know, degradation of the body and right, how it yeah. falls apart. Um, and a lot of people saw this movie when it came out. A lot of people saw it, and it's you know definitely because of the time. A lot of people saw this movie as a metaphor for AIDS. Okay. When it came out. Okay. Um, and Cronenberg was surprised by this. He didn't actually think that the movie said that. He mm. he felt that the movie was was more about like disease, just generally disease, but mostly about the aging process, about what okay. happens when the body ages. Um, That's a really morbid picture of uh, growing old. It is. It is. And for 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 a man and who's... And what about all the sexual themes and stuff then? I mean, guys guys get hornier as they get older it's no. not rock solid <laughs> let me just say that you know for for a man who's not young anymore i wonder i wonder what cronenberg how he would reevaluate this movie mm. now if it was now really that he about, has aged right, right. If, if it's really about aging i wonder what he has to say about you know what kinda, he was trying to say you're in kind of infallible when you're young right but then you get old and you're like maybe i don't want to say that aging is like your ears falling off and stuff. Yeah, th- I mean this this scene right here. Yeah, this is this is the stage here getting to this point. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I love the stuff where like his ears are falling off and all of that. I think that's really fun, but I'm just not I don't know. I I don't know what they could have done differently to make it better, but I'm just not into into the the look of the face and stuff here. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's okay. I think the the one I really don't like is is just the ending final version. You you don't like the the design of the fly. No. And I like the fly itself when he like sheds his skin and then and then turns into the actual fly, but I'm just not like the one before it, like I said, he kind of looks like the hunchback of Notre Dame. And here he just looks like a zombie. Huh. That's 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 really strange that you say that. I mean, because you know that the uh, that the the design of the fly, the the final design mm. of the fly. Um, I don't know who. Uh, well, actually, no, I do know who uh, who ended up doing it finally. The guy. Um, but there was a design for the fly submitted for this movie uh, by the guy who did all the special effects in the thing. Oh, really? Who did all the effects in the thing? What what was his name? Because I keep forgetting. Um, you said it earlier. No, I said Wallace. Wallace was the guy who did the, the stuff in this movie. I can't remember. It wasn't Rick Baker did the dog effect, but he didn't want to take away from the work of what's his face. Anyways, <laughs> go on though. Rob Botton. That's his name. Jesus. God, that was terrible. Um, but yeah, the you know Wallace, who did all the the, the effects in this movie, he, his design for the fly ended up winning over Rob Botton, who had you know done amazing work on the fly mm. just a few years before this. Yeah, um, I would really like to see what Rob Botton. I would too, and I'd I'm not curious. when I say when I say I don't like it, I don't mean I don't like it because I do like it. I do. I, just, I do really, really love how they use the famous line from the original film mm-hmm. from 1958. Yeah, I think so. I think yes. it's 58, Vincent Price, The Fly. Yes, it is 58. Um, also, strangely, this is this is the second movie in a row that we've done that is uh, a remake of a movie that was made in the 50s that was based on a short story. 
because <laughs> but but that's just science fiction that's just because i guess that's true. the answer is because science fiction because that's when you know science fiction was ramping up and then the 80s was when we started deciding to make science fiction movies like mad well i mean we were making science fiction movies before but there was a resurgence in the 80s but so. anyway like when when his ear falls off and he says i'm scared and all this kind of stuff and you know they hold each other and they're crying and he says help me mm-hmm. like it, it's it's such a different moment than how it is in the original movie that you miss it if you don't think about it. But that's exactly what that's supposed to be as a nod to the original movie where at the end of the film, you know, you've got this little fly with the human's head inside a spider web and the spider's slowly approaching and, and he says, me, help, help me, help me, help me. And cut to credits yeah. and you're like, oh my God, what a horrifying ending. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. But in this movie, it's like, my body's falling apart and I'm going to die and I'm scared. Help me. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, but what I was saying, though, is that it's not that... Saying I don't like this stuff in this movie is, is a little too strong because it's not it's not that I don't like the way he looks. It's just I, I have really high standards for when it comes to practical effects and and you know gore design and especially when it comes to body horror and stuff and after coming out of a movie like the thing where it was so creative i feel like just making him kind of look like a zombie and just making him kind of look like and they do it very well like he's a zombie whose face looks kind of weird and like his his shirt is all weepy and messed up and whatever um and then like the later version of him where where he's where he's got like the like the bodysuit on and stuff like all of that going on i don't know i just like i said i feel like it could be more creative they could have done something weirder more upsetting well they do do stuff kind of weird i mean we we've we didn't see the scene because it was actually cut out of the movie but there is a pretty famous deleted scene mm-hmm. uh, where after he figures out what's happened to him, that he has been fused with the fly at the, you know, molecular genetic level. Right. Uh, that he tries to, in an attempt to figure out how to fix himself, he, uh, you know, the baboon that has mysteriously disappeared from this movie. Yes. Well, it actually ends up going somewhere. He fuses that with a cat. Oh. And creates a terrible creature that mm-hmm. comes out screaming and in pain. Uh, this cat baboon. Oh man, I need to see that. That he that he beats to death with a lead pipe. Awesome. And it's awesome and terrible. But uh, <laughs> apparently when they, when they tested that, uh, audiences said, yeah, after you beat any kind of animal to death with a lead pipe, I don't care if it's grotesque. We just don't care about you anymore. We don't care about your story because you're a piece of shit. Because you, you, you did this to an animal and then you beat it to death for what you did to this animal. So fuck you. Okay. I mean, I can get behind that. I can understand that. But I still want to see Cat Baboon. Well, I mean, you can see it. It's out there. I yeah. watched it on YouTube like a couple of nights ago. Oh, my God. His performance is so great, though, here where he starts like twitching and stuff while he talks. Yeah. The way the way he talks and he twitches and, and all that kind of stuff. It's really fantastic. So, and here here's another amazing thing to me. This is the vomit drop, which we get to see earlier in the scene before this. 
uh, you know, he takes a piece of food and he throws up on mm-hmm. it, and sh- and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, that's disgusting." And he's like, he's forgotten how disgusting what he's doing is, and she reacts horribly. And we see it the first time we see it, we see it, and we're like, "Oh my God, what did he just but, do?" But we don't see him slurp it up, which is what I what uh, scumbag is watching right we now. Don't, we don't see him slurp it up, but I think that's another that's an interesting thing is that we've already seen him do this terrible thing, and then we watch another character react to him doing the same thing, except we don't see him slurp it up to be fair but his reaction to him doing it is just like oh how gross and terrifying yeah. and it's like it it brings us right back to yeah that. we don't yeah. have to see it again we're because, just like yeah because it's gross, we're watching the reaction <laughs> yeah um uh, but but however that was a moment where i was like oh we kind of pulled back on that like we pulled back a little bit and we didn't see him slurp up his vomit. Uh, we've missed some stuff. Stathis earlier referred to typhoid, typhoid Mary, which of course is a reference to Mary Mallon, who is the first person in the U.S. to be identified as an asymptomatic carrier of the pathogen associated with typhoid fever. Yes. Uh, she infected some 50-something people. 51. 50, over the course of her career, she was a cook. And three of those 51 people died. Yeah, and it was like the the case was that she wasn't showing symptoms, like obviously asymptomatic, right? right? And so she was going to work for these families, and she just kept moving from family to family, and everyone in all the houses she was in just kept getting sick. She died, though, in isolation because they kept for 30 years. They quarantined her for 30 years. Let's be real. They imprisoned her for 30 years. Yeah. Um, So... uh, I, I think that even though the AIDS uh, metaphor is, according to the filmmaker, not something that's present because he wasn't thinking about it, but I do think that what Veronica is going through with wanting to stay by Brundle's side, it falls very much in line with the AIDS metaphor and the many relationships that were ravaged, in, especially in the 80s, by the disease. AIDS as a type of sexually transmitted disease has kind of these ideas of relationships and sex kind of built right into it that I feel fit into this film because of its also ideas about, yeah. you know, sex and the body and the, you know, the, the degradation of the body and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I feel that that is actually a pretty apt uh, metaphor, even though the director who were actually, who's actually in the scene right now, whether or not you know is it. He? Uh, yes. The, is he the doctor, the obstetrician right here. With the glasses on, mm-hmm. that's Mr. David Cronenberg. Oh, fantastic! Um, this might be my number one movie dream sequence of all time. Yeah, this, really? This one right here, yeah. Uh, but after watching some of his early films, Martin Scorsese asked to meet David Cronenberg, and when he met him, he told him that he looked like a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon. And Cronenberg's like, "Okay, I think I'll give myself a cameo as a doctor." <laughs> So he did. Oh my god, that's so great. Uh, the, the, the the larva, maggot. yeah. yeah. Ugh, it's terrible. Oh, it is terrible. Larva awful. baby. Awful. But and now, now this movie has changed and now yes. this movie is going to talk about abortion. Yes, now we've got brilliantly woven ideas of pregnancy fears and a sexual history with a person having a terminal illness of questionable communicability. Like I think all of that works really well. Mm-hmm. I think that I'll even make a point later if I if I remember to um about how this movie, if made again or if made today, uh, could say even more about that. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely, made today. It absolutely, it definitely would say, would say different things. Uh, at least, at least would say more on the same topic, if not some different things too. 
But I mean, I love where this movie is going to go with it, where it just solely becomes about her. Like there are some scenes where she's screaming at, and it's all these male characters who are telling her to stop having the abortion. Like there are multiple male characters. The doctor kind of tries to talk her out of it. Her ex-boyfriend kind of tries to talk her out of it. Brundle physically kidnaps her and takes her away so she won't have an abortion. I mean, even um, not only that stuff, that stuff I, I think is really great too, but Go as far as just the diseased person is concerned. If we're just talking about this, you know, uh, the subject, if you will, a Brundlefly. I think we can safely call him Brundlefly at this point. Brundlefly. Even the concept of a diseased person having ups and downs is represented in this film, and it's complemented by the totally realistic exhaustion and the exasperation felt by loved ones who feel like they're simply kind of on this terrible roller coaster with no mm. control of the situation. Yeah. Because she comes to see him one day, and he's literally falling apart in yeah. front of her, yeah. crying, saying he's scared, he's going to die, mm-hmm. he, he needs help, he doesn't know what to do, he doesn't know who to call, and what can he do? Like, right. this is a totally yeah. unique experience. It's terrifying. And then she comes in the next day, and he's climbing on the walls, and he's like, look what I can do. Look at this other thing I can do. And she's just like, I can't handle this. Yeah, I, can't I come handle in the one day, and, and it's the end of the world, and I come in the next, and it's a whole new world. Mm-hmm. So it's... Oh, and the rotating room, rotating room. Yes, welcome, yes. Welcome back welcome to popcorn back. poops. Welcome back to popcorn, <laughs> popcorn poops. poops. Uh, pop, pumpkin poops, actually. Pumpkin poops. We always have a place for you, rotating room in our we horror do, movies. We do. Um, I guess the only other time we've seen it in a movie on popcorn poops was Poltergeist. Have we not done Nightmare yet? Oh, we did, but that wasn't a. Was that a? It was a rotating room, but I don't think they rotated it in the movie because it got stuck upside down or something was broken on it. No, because she's on the ceiling rolling around. When the blood's like spurting out of the bed. Oh, I guess that's right. You're right. That's This is the third time then. Mm-hmm. This is the third rotating room. that We're going to get all the rotating room movies. All, all the way rotating room. All yeah, this is this is this is what I'm talking about here. Uh, it's not that it sucks, and like every time I look it at it, I'm like, oh, suck. how can I how good. can I say anything bad about it? Because because it does look good. I don't know. I just I just want something crazier. I just want the thing. Well, that's what I want. You know, I want the thing. After, I mean, it's it. It doesn't really change the design all that much, but you know, after the bab cat baboon scene where mm. he beats the terrible nightmare creature yeah. to death, um, he crawls out onto the roof mm-hmm. of his little flat here uh, and ends up falling off the building. Oh, good. And onto like not like a dumpster. He falls onto like a lower outcropping or something like that. Uh, where a uh, an insect arm protrudes out of his oh that's fantastic chest, man and he freaks out and grabs it and amputates it by chewing it off that's really awesome this, that's also See, like this stuff should have totally made the movie okay of all of the crazy fucked up shit they do in this movie I watched that scene the other night mm-hmm. the scene where he he amputates his own insect arm by chewing it off right and. Even I was like, too much. <laughs> it's a no little. Way. It's a little too. No much. way. Impossible. <laughs> let's let's show some restraint. No way. There's no reason for restraint. Um. So God, she. I love the way she acts. Right. Her her acting in this I, scene is. I have to say something because her reaction 
crying saying, I don't know what you're trying to say. I just imagine that that's <laughs> Actual. A, a normal reaction to a conversation with Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> you where just he's like, and, uh, and I, uh, you know, when I'm thinking about, uh, you know, the, the poetry of the, uh, the steak and the, uh, you know, dr- drink, you know, deep, and, uh, deep, drink deep, drink uh, deep, or taste not, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, we got it. The plasma. We got it. The pl- I don't know what you're trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how you have a conversation with Jeff Goldblum. That, that was you actually just, start, just an you just start crying. They, that they left in the movie because she's just like, I don't, I Jeff, know. I don't know what you're trying to say I to me know. right now. Um, but regardless of whether or not, um, she does very well with it. So, or, uh, oh, I, I, I did want to mention something. We mentioned Kafka earlier, and mm-hmm. I just want to mention this. I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over and the insect is away. Also a reference to Franz Kafka's mm-hmm. Franz Kafka's metaphors, metamorphosis. Yeah, my favorite all-time reference to Franz Kafka's Franz Kafka's metamorphosis is in the metamorphosis he rock opera. Franz Kafka. <laughs> Franz Kafka. <laughs> yeah, that's the best one. Um, uh, that's one of those stories that like I was forced to read in high school or something and has come up so many times in my it's, life. It, I mean, it really is comes, a seminal. Like you read it, you read it in, and you're just you like, know, freshman what? college or something like that. Maybe no, in high it was school. high school. Well, yeah, you took AP classes. Um, but you read it for the first time and you're just like, is this really that important? This is really, this I mean, is not, just, it turns into just a bug. Turns into it turns into a, into a cockroach. Right? Like, come it on. Just, right. But it really is. Like, but it is. People it, talk it about it all the time. Up. It just comes back again and again and again. Um, anyways, one of our listeners, I think it was Joachim, asked what our favorite Cronenberg movies were. If this, if, if this was our he favorite. He asked if this was our favorite. And when I when we did the Dead Zone podcast, I said that The Dead Zone was my favorite David Cronenberg mm-hmm. movie. And I I don't know if that's changed. I, maybe it hasn't. I love The Dead Zone. I, I think it... I think it might some days might be my favorite David Cronenberg movie, but I just love so many of his movies that it's hard to say that any one of them. I feel like picking a movie that David Cronenberg being at the height of his Cronenberginess, mm-hmm. um, it's got to be The Fly or Videodrome. Got to be. Uh, I don't like Naked Lunch as much as a lot of people. It's not quite up there for me. It's it, like between like of his body horror stuff, the really gross stuff. I really love Scanners too, but it's really got to be between the Fly and Videodrome. Now, if you're talking about his other stuff, that's like not quite what he's known for. Um, Eastern Promises is wonderful. I would say Eastern Promises is right up there next to the Dead Zone. Um, I feel like between A History of Violence and Eastern Promises, if David Cronenberg wanted to continue making crime movies, he would give Scorsese a run for his fucking money. I'm not even kidding. Full stop. You know, that's, <laughs> I, I'm serious. Like he's just it's the second time you said full stop in this today, episode. This episode, yeah. Have I? Well, full full stop two times. <laughs> Three so, times now. Three times. That's uh, that's. I think. I guess that's three periods now. That's three ellipses. So now I've just created a pause. <laughs> Good for me. <laughs> How'd this turn into a literary technical I, I don't, discussion? I don't know. Um, okay. His okay. Let, let, 
Brundlefly's visit to the hospital is the most B movie thing in this movie. Oh yeah, it's totally like, trauma. Like him, it's ho- trauma all the way. Him like bursting trauma. through, <laughs> like right? Him bursting through the window and it's him toxic hopping Avenger. over, hopping over rooftops and shit like that, like with the rubber suit and stuff. It's yeah. like the suit's not meant to be seen. And that that's what I'm talking light. about. Like there are just some images from this for me where I don't. I'm not buying the 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 costume and the the feel to the end Brundlefly here. Um, it fe- I guess that's how it feels. It feels kind of trauma to me. It feels a little Toxic Avenger. Uh, he, I guess he does kind of... I mean, the Toxic Avenger stuff doesn't look anywhere as good oh, as this. Oh, no, no, it not at look, all. Not even close. No, no, not even a little bit. But but that's the feeling where it's just like, oh, it's really gross, you know? Um, You didn't ask my favorite Cronenberg movie. What is your favorite Cronenberg movie? Don't you movie? know it? Oh, uh, let me think. Um, I... Bet it is. Oh Jesus! I, After we watched I it many it. years I do ago, know it. it's the Brood. Yes, that's correct. Oh, that's a great choice. Yeah, the Brood oh, is my favorite the one. The Brood is so fucking good. It's so that's the only Cronenberg movie that sincerely kind of creeped. But like a body horror creeps me out in a different way. But the Brood kind of just creeped me out. Where I was just like, this is this is really weird, and I'm upset by it. <laughs> Oh, by the way, best Cronenberg reference of all time. We gave the best Franz Kafka reference of all time. Oh, the best Cronenberg reference, hands down, Rick and Morty. Oh, yeah, you got Rick it. Rick and Morty. That's why Cro- we're married. The Cronenberg episode is just, holy where, shit. Where, well, where it's just like, we wound up on the Cronenberg Cro- planet. <laughs> and like, it's just these disgusting, mutated creatures all <laughs> over the place. Uh, it's, a, it's pretty amazing. Okay, so let, let's talk about um, let's talk about abortion. Yeah, let's talk about abortion. I love I love the stuff here where abortion? she just starts screaming. No, I love the stuff here where she just starts screaming, um, it's my body. She's well, it's I not want, just it's I my want body. it I, I want it out want of it. I, don't I don't want, want it, in it in my body. My body. Yeah, yes. sorry. I don't want that it in my little body. Moment alone, like that is that alone alone is such a strong argument for legal abortion where I mean she says it straight out she says I'm, i don't I'm want gonna, it in my body like, and that's I, if it's, you don't do it then i'm going to and that and that's the other thing is she follows up on that she says i don't want it in my body i don't want it in my body she repeats it herself and she says and if you don't do it i will yeah and that's the thing i mean it's yeah it's, and that's where we get to which is what's happened to women again and again and again throughout history is that you, you know, you take away safe measures and then it becomes unsafe. It's not like it's going to stop. It didn't stop back in the day when they killed people for it. So I'm pretty sure it's not going to stop today because you make it illegal. Right. Um, I think here's the thing that I think I'm not that I'm saying that this movie needs to be remade. Because it, I mean, it doesn't need nothing needs to be remade. I don't get up in arms about remakes. This is a remake. The That's thing true. is also a remake, and they're true. both brilliant movies. Um, you know, I, I I'm not one of those guys. that's like, please, you can't just keep remaking everything. It's whatever. Shit gets remade. It's it's we retell. Oh my stories. god, him spraying the acid stuff in his hand it's melting. It's great. That actually, that melting hand effect was created by sculpting the mutilated hand, then building up an intact hand on top of it out of gelatin. Uh-huh. And then the gelatin was melted using stage lights and a hair dryer and filmed at a low speed and then sped back that up. That is fantastic. Chris Wallace essentially recreated the same effect that he had used earlier for uh, Tot's melting face in Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
wonderful and you can totally you can totally totally see it yeah you can totally tell but what i was saying is that that if this movie were to be remade or made today the one thing that i think could be added to this movie in uh you know in support of the 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 abortion themes Uh is a last ditch effort by brundle to harness the stem cells of his unborn child to cure himself because I feel like this movie is just like a hop, skip, and a jump away from that with his attempt to like, like he's about to try to fuse with Veronica mm-hmm. and the baby. Yeah. Uh, and I, I feel like in a movie that, or in a time period like today where we're more knowledgeable about, you know, the science of stem cells and things like that, and just the storyline of an unborn baby being in here and talking yeah. about abortion, all of these issues and the things surrounding these issues that we talk about today in our political yeah. sphere. Um, I, I think would would just kind of enhance those ideas in this movie. I yeah, think be, I think I, think I see really what you're I see what you're saying. I could go for that. Um, so we're here right at the right close to the very end of this pretty tragic movie. Ends up it ends up being a tragedy. Oh yeah, where absolutely. everyone needs both physical and mental therapy probably oh, for, yeah, the for the rest of their years. life. Uh, I mean, Stathis, poor Stathis is going to need a couple of prosthetic limbs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cause Jesus. <laughs> yep. I, I love that. It's so painful that he passes out. Like there's no like writhing and laying there. He just goes into shock and then passes out as his ankle is being disintegrated. Yeah. You know, there were happy endings filmed for this movie. Did you know really? That? Mm-hmm. That's surprising. There are a couple of happy endings. There were, let's see, um, several versions of the happier ending were shot but ultimately never used. Two were filmed in which Veronica has another dream of her unborn child, this time as a baby with beautiful butterfly wings. And she wakes up in both and is revealed to still be pregnant uh, in one while her pregnancy is left open uh, in the other. Another two versions feature her having an unseen nightmare and being comforted by Stathis who in one version states the baby is his and in the other that it is dead. Uh, then apparently Jeff Goldblum was angry that they filmed the Stathis endings, like the happy endings with Stathis, as he felt like Veronica ending up with Stathis undermined the tragedy of the movie, which I absolutely agree yeah, with. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so yeah, they just they just decided that once Brundlefly dies and everyone's crying and broken forever, that's when the credits should roll. And I think that's the perfect point. It works. It's like once your hero is dead, your movie is over. Actually, someone actually said that. Who was it? Stuart Kornfeld, who's a producer. Um, He said, once your hero is dead, your movie is over. Yes. Yes. I think that's 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 pretty much true. Yeah. No, I think the ending to this is just fine. I mean, it's awful. And it's one of the reasons why... Um, why I don't come back to this movie so much. And it's not because it's not a great movie because it is a great movie, but I don't come back to it very much because at the end, like I just have this horrible feeling, you know, like we, we end the movie on such a high note of tragedy that it's just, you don't get that final girl, right? Like you don't get that final character where, where somebody survives. There's some glimmer of hope. There's some something, right? There's none of that. It's just... It's just this is the end and everyone is broken forever if they're alive. Mm-hmm. Physically and mentally broken have, forever. I want to ask before this is over. Have you seen the original? No, I haven't. <clears throat> have you? Yes, I have. Uh, a long time ago. Um, but now, I love this thing. I love the fly itself here. I think it's awesome. It's 
Oh, you love this? Yes, I oh, love this. Oh, I thought this, this was what this is no, what you no, didn't no, like. No, 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 this is what I love. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's great. And then when he fuses with the telepod? Yeah. Jesus. Wonderful. <laughs> I mean, and that that's like I don't know. Uh, I think it's like Cronenberg had he couldn't get away from this movie without like a final metaphorical warning from you know our our great Baron of Body Horror about humanity's relationship to technology because up to this point he's not really said anything about it but mm-hmm. then at this point like at the very end of the movie he fuses our monster of a of a protagonist so to speak right with the machine that he's been working on and he's just like boom how's that for a metaphor yeah like don't don't let technology eat you up, son. Because you're gonna get melded together, and then I'm you're gonna your boy die. Cronenberg. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Interesting. Uh. It. I, I. We haven't talked about the fact that scumbag. What is his name? Stathis. Stathis. Stathis Baratheon. Stathis. Such a name. Um, Stathis Borans. Stathis here. He. It, we haven't talked about how he uh, he's like the good guy at the end of the movie, you know, where he he I sincerely believe in his trying to help her because even after he's all messed up and has been, you know, had his ankle and his hand completely disintegrated by acid, he's still trying to help her. And it makes him seem like so much less of a scumbag. And it's really surprising. It, it is like. Because some of the stuff he says in this movie to her is incredibly horrible. I mean, like, I don't even remember the last line of dialogue that he has in the movie because I don't think he even speak. He uh, doesn't really even speak throughout the scene. The last real line of dialogue he has in the movie is probably something really scummy and shitty. Yeah. It probably is. It, I, I think it's but in the scene where But didn't you say there, there, there's a scene... Did we already talk about this? Where there's oh, a scene think- where she hooks up with him? There was a deleted scene, I right. think, where she hooks up. Did we him. talk about it here or did we talk about it before the podcast? No, we talked about it here. Okay. You're losing your mind. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> this is called Having Not Slept All no, it's Week. It's all right. It's grad school. The, but this, uh, I mean, this ending where Brundlefly takes the shotgun, grabs it, puts it up against his head, and it's he's just like, kill me. It's... But I don't know. I almost feel like I almost feel like that moment is a little much for me. Really? Yeah. You think it's heavy handed? It's a it's a little bit much. Like 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 I could have done with just like a touching of the shotgun or something okay, like that. Okay, you want to go even subtler? Okay, I respect that. Um, I absolutely and respect also that. also her like. Like her, her hesitating and stuff to kill him. No, no, you just no. You'd be like you just you just blow it up. You're beyond help. Like, yeah. So, but no, I mean, like, I think without her having without her doing that, you, you lose empathy for her. I get I it. I totally get like, it. It's necessary. Still, and it's that's it. And there that's we go. That's just it. That's and the end of the we movie. End. We end the movie. Brundle flies dead. And look, Chris Wallace Incorporated, the fly created by Chris Wallace. First credit, the first credit when the when the credits pop up, and uh, when that happened, uh, apparently, you know, in their in their early test screenings, when when his name popped up, the crowd cheered, mm-hmm. and the one of the producers sitting next to Wallace said, uh, what, "What was it?" He said, "He said you're getting an Oscar." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. After his screening with an audience cheered upon seeing the first credit, producer Stuart Kornfeld, we mentioned before, turned to Wallace and said, "You're getting the Oscar," and he did. He got the Oscar. That's fantastic. So 
That's wonderful. Uh, do we have any final thoughts on the fly? Did we miss anything? Did we? Was there anything we didn't really talk about? Howard Shore's score. He did. I mean, it's a wonderful score. Yeah, it's great. I mean, um, there's little did, that Howard Shore does that I that I don't like. So he actually didn't score the first David Cronenberg movie that we did. Uh, that was Michael Kamen mm-hmm. on the Dead yeah. Zone. So uh, the. You know, Howard Shore, of course, is Lord of the Rings. Oh, I thought you were talking about what oh, he's well, done. Oh, yeah. Well, he's done that, of course. But, like, he, he's he's Cronenberg's longtime musical collaborator. Um, so, you know, I think it, it was strange that the first movie we did didn't actually feature a Howard Shore score. Yeah. A Howard Since score, Since he, he generally does collaborate with him. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, great work there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think I got across pretty much everything I wanted to say. I could talk a lot longer about The Fly, but... You know, it's just because it's such a great movie. It is a great movie, and it's perfect for for our themes this month. For sci-fi horror. Well, I guess guess that that can wrap us up for uh, today. Uh, As always, you can find us on our website at popcornpoops.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, where you can leave us a rating and review. We'd really, really appreciate that. We are out of reviews, remember. So if you leave one for us this week, then we'll probably read it on next week's show. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook. That's where you can get all of the information about the show, all the announcements, all the updates, uh, and our movie still identification game, which is a lot, which is a whole lot of fun if you want to play along with that. Uh, every week we like to feature a Popcorn Poops podcasting pal. That's one of our contemporaries in, in, in podcasting and movie podcasting specifically. Uh, and this week we like to feature the conversations of film podcast, and you can learn more about them uh, if you stick around with us after our outro. Uh, would you like to announce the the next episode? Yeah, next week, continuing with sci-fi horror here on the Pumpkin Poops, uh, we're going to be watching Ridley Scott's 1979 film, Alien. Excellent. Looking forward to it. That's, oh, yeah. that's going to be a good one. So uh, questions or comments, leave them on our social media uh, outlets, uh, Facebook, Twitter. You can also go to our forums, go to our website and click on the forums. So until next time, take care. Bye-bye. We are the Pumpkin Hi, and welcome to our ad. I'm Max. And I'm Sam. And we like to talk about movies. We combine casual conversation with knowledgeable analysis and trivia. In our podcast, The Conversations, a film podcast.